This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress in the sector. With your host, Professor Judith Sachs, former PVC Learning and Teaching at the University of Sydney, Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Provost at Macquarie University, and Special Advisor in Higher Education at KPMG, and now Chief Academic Officer at Studiosity. Welcome. It gives me great pleasure this afternoon to talk to my former colleague, uh, Professor Andrew Parfitt, now Vice-Chancellor and President at UTS. Andrew, rather than my introducing you, could you just give us a brief introduction to who's Andrew Parfitt, what were his beginnings, how did he get there, and then uh, when you've done that, uh, show us the object that you've brought in that um, represents your journey as a leader and a learner. Sure, and I think, um, tell me a bit about me. I, I, I guess, um, you know, I grew up, I'm first in family to go to university. I'm quite proud of that. Um, it was a time, of course, where, uh, you know, aspirations were different. And uh, I guess I formed an interest in uh, science and technology and engineering and electronics through um through other activities when before even when I was at school um, things like amateur radio playing around with the uh, astronomy kit and things like that that's it's typical geek stuff I guess but the reality was I formed a real interest in the way the world works the way physical physics uh, makes sense of things um, and that interest developed during school and high school uh, it was kind of crystallized when um, uh, a relative um, was uh, over in, I grew up in Adelaide, so they were in Adelaide uh, working in the um, in the defence sector, actually. Um, and I actually realised that this kind of interest might actually lead to something that, that, that looked like a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, I ended up uh, doing an engineering degree at the University of Adelaide. And uh, I guess that you know, we can talk later on about where that might have taken us. So uh, uh, that the... Um, uh, that was a kind of life transforming moment in some ways because it set a career path off that's taken quite a few different uh, branches along the way. Then a PhD at the University of Adelaide as well. That's right. Yep. But I, I, I initially did a, a finish my um, uh, my undergraduate degree uh, and went into the workforce. Um, so I didn't go naturally straight on to a PhD. I actually started work with what's. Uh, uh, what was then the Defence Science and Technology Organisation in, in Northern Adelaide. Um, and um, it, it was, it's interesting because when I when I left the organisation, I had my um, uh, my notes given to me. I don't know whether they still do that sort of thing today. And it, it was intriguing to see that uh, uh, while academically I was okay, wasn't particularly brilliant, it was a um, the interest piece that had attracted them to employ me there. So I spent a period of time as an engineer um, but in, an engineer in a research organisation quickly cottons on to the fact that there are sort of roadblocks on the way if you don't have a PhD. So I was fortunate enough that um, they backed me by way of a cadetship to do uh, a PhD at the University of Adelaide. Um, but I'd had a period in the workforce um, and that had stimulated an interest in, in research, um, the sort of broader dimensions, continuing in engineering. And so I ended up back at the University of Adelaide, um, much to my surprise, really, in some ways. And then did that time in working in the bureaucracy as a research scientist shape some of your formation as, as an academic and later as a an academic leader? Yeah, look, it did, because I was fortunate again, and this is sort of 
a characteristic. I, I often tell people, um, choose your boss well when they're making de decisions. And I was very fortunate to have people who uh, uh, took an interest in me, appeared to give me interesting work to do. Uh, and the work was quite challenging. I, I remember one of the first jobs I had, um, I had absolutely no idea how I was going to you know, do the, the tasks that I was set. So as you do, you go to the library and you borrow as many books in those days as you could. And I remember um, my uh, my supervisor coming at the time and seeing this book on the table and he basically said, oh dear. <laughs> um, so I had to develop a whole lot of things that I'd not learned at university. And that's where we sort of started the journey around, uh, okay, well, if you have an interest in developing this sort of knowledge and extending the sort of knowledge, then maybe a research career is something you should contemplate. And uh, that's how it panned out. And then UniSA um, and Newcastle, and then yeah, well, on the on on the way there was um, I was a period of time at the University of Adelaide um, as an engineering academic, um, and then I left the University of Adelaide to go to CSIRO, um, and then I ended up at Newcastle and um, and now at UTS. So it's it's an interesting sort of career route, isn't it? It's sort of um, in and out of the academy and then in and out of research and, and leadership. Yes, well, that's I think that's the piece that, um, that there are points where you react to things. And I was um, at the University of Adelaide. I was I, well, actually before I finished my PhD, I was offered a lectureship at the, at the University of Adelaide, um, which I took after some consideration. Uh, because I was sort of interested in uh, expanding into the teaching dimension uh, of that, and um, the environment was was good, and I managed to keep connections with uh, defence and defence science uh, through through that work. Um, but I ended up there fairly quickly, um, being appointed to an associate dean position. In, in the delightful title, I still remember it was, that they were, it was called associate dean undergraduate matters. Which uh, you know, these days we'd say under associate dean education or associate degree de dean um, uh, research or something. Like that. This was undergraduate matters, and I soon learned that that was absolutely everything to do with um, uh, any sort of course administration anywhere in the faculty. So, uh, and look, I took to it with with real interest. In fact, the um, the dean who appointed me, I got called. To the office one stage it's sort of like being called to the principal's office he <laughs> said, said, said andrew i think you should get some management experience um and it uh, and it was like would you not would you like to be associate dean he said it was more opposed to a statement of fact than anything else um but it was a great opportunity but it did involve an awful lot of um, administrative work um interesting administrative work right? so it was a lot of interaction with students uh, it turned out there was the first of several sort of curriculum reformations that I had to do. Uh, we got involved at the time in some of the early women in engineering programs to sort of address the um, um, the inclusion and diversity elements in, in, in the programs. Um, so it, it, it was a great job, but I, I missed getting back to the research. And that's when I, had a, I, I did a sabbatical at CSIRO. At the time, it had absolutely the world-leading um, antennas, group, particularly associated with radio astronomy, um, uh, and eventually joined that group at CSIRO for a number of years. Um, and, you know, it's surprising that the whole thing happens again, um, that you end up being a research scientist and then you know, move on in the career. Um, 
more program management, became head of a group, um, ended up there as the chief executive of uh, a cooperative research centre. It's like, you can't avoid this. Um, and it was just sort of that moment. Um, maybe that is the thing that I do well. It's uh, it's the um, providing the opportunity for institutions and people to thrive in education and research, which is the bit that is really interesting. And so the journey from then was pretty much into... Um, uh, into a pro vice chancellor position, head of a faculty, then deputy vice chancellor, academic, then provost, and vice chancellor. It got more linear, so I say at the later part. Mm -hmm. So look, um, thank you for that uh, guided tour through your career. Um, can you introduce uh, your oh, yes. you brought in? Uh, oh, you can't quite see it next to me here, but guess yes, what? I, I know what that is. You know what it is. <laughs> there you go. It's so I. I behind here my PhD gown. Yep. It could have been any gown actually, but except probably the, the Vice Chancellor's gown. Um it actually is sitting on one of those old fashioned coat rack, hat rack things. And it sits in the corner of my office. Um probably just out of convenience more than anything else. Um and the reason I put it there is it it, it it's a kind of daily reminder amidst all the other things that are in my office. Um you know paperwork um all sorts of things that we do in the uh, through here, governance, finance, legals, all, all, all the, the the business of running a very large, complex organisation, that we're here because it's about education and research. It's about graduates um, and what they go on to do with their uh, their careers and their lives. It's about creating new knowledge. Um, and so kind of it's an object, I thought it kind of exemplified that. But it also has a, a history. The gown has a history in terms of its design. And so it what does. you've done is actually rooted in a, an historical tradition that is deeply embedded in the universities that you've, you've led and been involved with as well. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, um, so I, I love graduation ceremonies. I get to go to quite a number of them, as I'm sure you recall, <laughs> doing in your, in your career. And um, I often, well, as, as part of the, uh, the wrap-up, uh, my part of the, the ceremony, I often remind graduates that um, you know, the, the university undertakes to, to a commitment to them to strive for excellence and to do the right thing so that um, the, the degree that they take away is, continues to be recognised globally um, and, and, and should be of, of value to them in, the, in their future career. And uh, often with a reminder that there's, you know, you don't stop learning, so keep engaged and all of those sorts of things. So there's that sort of connection with graduation uh, and, you know, an important role that we have at UTS, which is engaging with business and the community more widely, um, particularly in professional development and lifetime learning. So getting back to you as a student, what was your undergraduate experience like? I think very conventional. I, obviously, I had no reference point. Um, so you you show up on a traditional university campus. Um, I, I did have one slight reference point. I was fortunate in uh, year 11 in school uh, to do um, the University of Sydney's physics summer school, as it was then. It used to run. Um, um, Harry Messel, I think, used to organise these. And um, and so I got I got picked for for that one uh, in year eleven. So I had a bit of an experience of what university was like, but quite superficial. So it was all a little bit daunting. And to be perfectly honest, there's not a lot that I remember about about the experience. I, I think I was a diligent student. I turned up to all the classes as you did then, um, and um, but to 
to be honest, I'm not sure that I maximized the experience in many ways. I certainly learned a lot, um, but uh, I probably, in, in hindsight, should have spent more time thinking about all of the other dimensions of being a university student than I, than I did. So you you didn't learn the extracurricular at the uh, the refectory in the pub. Mm, I suspect there might have been a little bit of that, but uh, <laughs> uh, so it 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 was a fairly structured university experience. It was pretty full on yeah. uh, engineering degrees back then. I think um, it, it was quantity, <laughs> so you had lots of laboratory experience. Um, you had lots of uh, traditional lectures uh, and. Um, uh, I think I, I enjoyed the learning, um, but the overall experience I don't think was remarkable, which is why in many ways, I, uh, as Deputy Vice-Chancellor Academic and as Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Division and now as Vice-Chancellor, um, I actually think um, pay attention much more to the what overall experience um, we give to students, particularly students like myself who are unfamiliar with universities. I mean, at Newcastle, I had... Um, under my responsibility, the very significant enabling programs that they had there. Mm -hmm. And some of the most powerful stories as a reminder about paying attention to the entirety of the experience came from enabling students who had gone through the university degree and graduated with an honours degree or a medal or something like this. And the stories that they told about the um, about, about that experience and what they felt at university, uh, students who walked onto the campus on their first day of an enabling program and walked away because it was so confronting. I mean, I was lucky, I kept going. Mm -hmm. But there are so many people who find university such a uh, such an unusual place to be that part of our job is to make it not friendly in the sort of warm, fluffy sense, but a place that people want to be because they're passionate about learning, they're passionate about developing themselves and not a place that's hard to, hard to be a part of, uh, to give life and form to what it means to be a university community. So that building a sense of belonging. Mm. But, but belonging, belonging and contributing, I think, is, is the piece. We often, I, I think as a student, I took, um, and I took a lot and it had a lot of value, but I don't know that I took the opportunity to sort of give back and participate in the way that perhaps um, I, I would like to see for students in future. And it, that's a bit of a challenge now because the world has changed. I was lucky um, that apart from a relatively small part-time job, I could, go through university. Um, I taught classical guitar to, to basically put myself through university, but I was living at home. It's fine. So many students these days having to work um, many more hours um, and uh, uh, being in Sydney, the, the, the cost of living pressures and all of these sorts of things. Um, what I'd like to see in, in the future is us getting um, a handle on the value of the overall experience and how we can provide all students with that experience of being part of that learning community. Because although I don't remember the details, I do remember that I took away uh, a, an incredible set of skills and understandings and um, uh, and the capacity to think differently that set me up for the career that we talked about a while ago. Do you recall any outstanding lecturers or teachers or learning experiences that you had while an undergraduate or, or even as a, a postgraduate? I think you remember the bad ones, don't you? <laughs> At the time where and we had blackboards then, of course, the person who would spend the entire lecture putting formulas up on the blackboard with their back to you. Yeah. Uh, to, to some extent, the, the, for me, the recollection of the bad ones was the developmental step in my own teaching experience when I became a lecturer. But there were 
they they were good examples. You're right. There's always the the person that stimulates your interest. Um, and you know, I can remember that in school, in physics, um, which is why I retained the interest in in engineering and, and physics. Um, and and some of the people that uh, uh, would be talking about their research work. Uh, I, I am a believer that the teaching and research nexus at universities is real. Um, there is a significant, I think, element at universities that we overlook in the desire to sort of build the professional competency and the graduation is that we are immersed in a knowledge creation environment. And the department that I was, I was with at the University of Adelaide had some really interesting thinkers. And so the, the weekly research seminar, which students go to um, was actually more much more impactful I think than the lectures uh, as part of the course themselves and, and maybe in part that's what stimulated my eventual interest in in going back on, and embarking on a research career um, but I, I think if I were to remember anything it's the passion people had for their uh, for their discipline and for making uh, making an impact creating something that nobody had before uh, and making it real and, uh, and and hopefully useful. So what's been important for you as an educator, but also for you uh, as a leader in, in diverse institutions? Mm. So if I think about um, the, the, the concept of student experience, which is the sort of um, lingo of the day, um, we often used to think of the student experience as the, uh, uh, the quality of the curriculum or the... Uh, the overall education piece. I, over time, I've become much more um, conscious of the fact that the, what those wider dimensions um, of being at university. So for me, I think it's um, the whole the whole learning environment and what it means to develop people who are not only you know competent in their in their discipline area and feel at home within the the profession that they're going to work in, but are also um, happy to bump up against people who have other ideas and challenge the ideas who are we have a terrific program here which is um, our bachelor of creative uh, intelligence and innovation uh, which brings together students from a whole variety of disciplines to to, to work on a real life problem uh, and bring to it um, a range of perspectives that are not from within the discipline so that's sort of broader elements of learning um, as as not as adjuncts to the learning experience, but integral to the learning experience, I, I think has been interesting. Twice in my career uh, as a leader, um, I've been engaged in at a, at a fairly hands-on level in major curriculum reform, and and each time it's not been about the choices of the what we teach. It's about the experience of how we create learners who are uh, who are interested in what they do, who who are able to uh, get excited about the opportunities that, that presents. And, and the other dimension, which I, I think was has been apparent at all the institutions I've worked in, and particularly pertinent to engineering, um, has been the continual drive to diversify the profession, whether it's uh, women in engineering, from, uh, whether it's um, global perspectives. Uh, this, I think, has been the, something of an obsession for me in some ways, um, because... Uh, Electrical engineering. I, I think there were there were three women in my undergraduate class, uh, and we do a lot better than that now. But for years and years, we were stuck at you know, less than fifteen percent of the engineering commencing engineering cohort would be women, and um, 
we always said we'll just have to wait for the pipeline from schools to uh, to feed the uh, diversity and it suddenly became apparent that actually we've got to do more than that um, we actually have to uh, to change ourselves to make ourselves uh, uh, an environment where more women people from diverse backgrounds people who perhaps haven't had as much STEM background in school as they would like to, would see that this is a career and a path for them. Um, so whether that's through um, uh, initiatives um, with schools, whether it's um, work that we did um, in terms of uh, changing the curriculum to make it more inclusive in the way in which we approach things, whether it was hiring more staff um, so that um, people who came to the university and doing studying engineering could see themselves in the uh, in the in the classroom in the, from the teachers and then of course working with the profession um for, the, for a similar uh, for a similar outcome that i think has been um uh, a pretty much a, a career journey so what i what i'm hearing you saying is diversity inclusion mm. and professional experience are really fundamental to how you see the role of a uh, a contemporary university certainly in the engineering disciplines but i think more widely as well um, I also just, you know, that, that element of, um, unfortunately, you know, we've, we've kind of uh, reduced in some ways the university to being about skills and knowledge. And it's more about learning and building character and building understanding, all those other dimensions around it, which sounds terribly old fashioned, I know. Um, but this, we have to remember that universities are not just about um, you know, forcing a fixed curriculum down people's throat and hoping they remember it when they go. It's about a community of learning that creates knowledge, that immerses itself in knowledge and ideas, that contests sometimes you know, controversial ideas. That, that environment is something special um, and it's sort of a, a, a pillar of undertaking whatever profession you do, whether it's engineering, law, business, health, wherever it is, all of those dimensions are important for us beyond just our capability in the uh, in the the area that we've chosen to to pursue. The next, well, as that, that old Chinese um, proverb, we're living in interesting times. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the. How do you see these interesting times being played out? As for, for universities. Universities, yeah. yeah. Look, there were. Particularly in Australia, I think we've we've arrived at a point where there are a whole series of um, you know, contradictions in how in how we work and what we aspire to do. Um, so, it, it, just taking a few reference points around it, if you think about knowledge creation, a disproportionately large amount of research in Australia happens in Australia's universities, and yet. The capacity to do that research is not funded by any general commitment for investment in research from Australian community. It's universities doing it off of the back of a very significant international student revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, that international student, I, I think it's great that we have international students, but the fact that we should rely on them to subsidise all of the other parts of what we do is, is a constant dilemma for, for universities. Um, I think the, um, the, the the way in which universities are now having to to manage those sort of contradictions around what we do and how how they're supported and how they're valued 
uh, it's a real challenge going forward. And I'm hopeful that the, uh, the accord process will open up some of the conversations around that. Um, we haven't achieved the uh, the student profile that we want to. Are we prepared to fund it? Are we are we funding it um, in a way that's sustainable, or are we funding it at the margins? Um, we haven't yet achieved the um, the translation of research to the benefit of Australian business and community to the extent we would like, but we're not really prepared to accept that a lot of the research is happening not by intent, but because we can, because of what we're funding, and. Um, and trying to hold together that whole sense of learning that's not just transactional, that it's not just about a skill that can be bought and acquired. Um, it's around the value that the university has in creating graduates, whether undergraduate, postgraduate, uh, that contribute to, to the economy and the community. So I, I actually think we've come to a point where the tension is quite high between those different areas. And I, it, it's going to be really interesting to navigate how we unpick some of these, these pieces uh, and ensure that we preserve what is really valuable um, in our universities collectively um, and that we can leverage it um, in a way that uh, builds the resilient community, strong economy, good social cohesion that we actually, we actually desire. And I think we've overlooked or underestimated the role that universities in that formative stage of development can do. Do you think that the release of the final report of the accord is a watershed moment in terms of what you've read what what we're understanding in, in, through the interim report or is it just will there just be adjustments i think the watershed moment will be the government response to the uh, i'm i'm hopeful that had a lot of consultation a lot of discussion and views let's assume that the um, uh, that the panel put together a proposition for the future of Australia's universities and higher education. That being the case, the um, uh, the watershed moment is a decision to back that that's the vision that we want to go with. Mm -hmm. um, and if it, if it includes um, addressing the need for uh, a, a wider range of graduates with different skills, um, a, a better match of the profile of students to the profile in the community. That's the opportunity in the inclusion and diversity piece. The capacity of the university to be able to, um, to, to conduct research, to hire academics that are at the forefront of their field so that we continue to have both knowledge creation and graduates who, who, are, who experience that and bump up against the very best in the world. If that's what we aspire to, um, then it's going to need resources and therefore there are going to be choices. So there's the watershed moment. Um, the, the the last thing we want, I think, is, you know, let's kick it down the can a decade. Um, we need some clarity around what it looks like. Uh, there are lots of attributes there but to talk about. Do you think it will mean greater diversity in the types of universities that we have? Because, you know, so many universities have law faculties, business faculties, there are more medical faculties now, lots of engineering faculties. So, you know, the buildings are a little different, but even then, you go inside the buildings and they look the same. So do you think this is an opportunity for diversity of institutions? But firstly, I'd, I'd kind of challenge that a little bit. I've worked in three universities, in, um, four actually, if you go back to the University of Adelaide. Um, and I'd have to say that even, even if you very lightly scratch the surface, each of those institutions have been very different. Um, the... What they what they aspire to do, uh, the the culture and environment that they create, um, 
the uh, the communities that they engage with, um, they all shape a very different experience. And I don't think we've given credit to, to that. What we what we do see, I think you're right in the sense that we see pretty well now every university having every type of the same courses and, and the same faculties, um, and and to that to that extent, it may reflect a lack of diversity in the sort of coverage, but that's a natural result of the funding system, the way the way that the system works. It's then what you do with it that matters, and the experience of universe of engineering students or business students. Um, at UTS, I think is very different to the experience of those similar students at a Newcastle or a UniSA. I've seen it. Um, so I think we, we have to be careful about what we want from diversity. If we want specialisation, that's a, that's a particular form of uh, diversity. And it might have benefits in some areas to be more specialised, um, particularly where universities can be stretched thin from a funding perspective. That's a different thing to diversity because I think we've got the, the, the opportunity to, to diversify. At, at UTS, our business school, for example, uh, we've got a business school like every other university has a business school, as you pointed out, but they've just, you know, they've just developed a very, very strong focus on um, uh, the, um, the, uh, the social conscious of business and the connection with um, social responsibility and areas like that without losing any of the the technical attributes of accountants and HR professionals and all the, the people that they're doing that feels very different um, from the experience to for example a business school in a regional community that focuses on small to medium enterprises and uh, they're still teaching accounting in both of the places but they're teaching them in very different contexts and I think that's often missed in the conversation so I think we really got to be clear about what what we want if we want enhanced specialisation for reasons of resourcing, focus, geography, whatever it is, fine, that makes a lot of sense. But I think we should think twice about whether or not um, we we are all as alike as people might like to think. Is that then a problem in terms of the language we use to describe how universities engage with communities? Because what, what you're saying, and I, I totally agree with you, you go to Sunshine Coast University, they are very connected with all aspects of their community um, and that meeting the needs of the community to grow the, the capabilities and competencies of, you know, members of that community is quite a, it, it's the same process, but the outcomes are quite different from, say, somebody who is at uh, University of Western Sydney with a, you know, much larger landscape uh, and, and canvas to be working on. So I think, I think what I'm also hearing you say is that we need a different language about diversity of organisations rather than just talking about the, the high-level structures. Yeah, and we also need to, as you point out, locate organisations in the context of their ecosystems. Yeah. So UTS is in a very different position, in position in a very broad sense of the word, than, say, a sun, University of the Sunshine Coast. Right, We're a CBD-based city. On our doorstep, we have one of the largest creative precincts in the country, and really engage with the, the creative industries, but we have an enormous profile in, in engineering and technology research and a connection of um, industry partners across the world, actually, um, that, that, that actually give it the character that it does. Um, and I, you're absolutely right. I think we need more sophistication. That may bring require uh, a changed language, but at least we should start to get more sophisticated at what we mean by points of difference. So what advice would you give to the younger Andrew 
I think I took the advice that you heard from my sort of somewhat protracted um, explanation of who Andrew is through his, the career journey. Um, and that is, don't be shy of taking opportunities. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes it's a case of even uh, if you think you want one thing, be open to others. And that was you know, twice being reminded that, you know, probably Andrew's skill um if that's what it is, at um, uh, leading and shaping organisations and groups um, is more important than Andrew's skill, if that's what it is, at um, research and the practice of teaching. Uh, and maybe that's that's where I've ended up, even though I tried twice not to end up there. It's 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 kind of you, you need to take the opportunities and find out for yourself, um, not only where your interests are, but where you can really add value. And that adding value piece, um, uh, is is so important to feel that you've uh, you've accomplished what you want to do. If you could change one thing for students to enhance their their experience at UTS, what would that be? Uh, do I only get one? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it's actually something that's not really in my control. But um, let's just focus, I think define students. Let's talk about undergraduate students. Um, because we have an on-campus experience for undergraduates. We, our ethos is that um, students come to a campus that's been designed over a decade um, to give that uh, engaged experience. Um, we focus on studios and laboratories and uh, practice-based learning and all of those sorts of things. So I don't think there's much we want to change by that, but the, the environment has changed so much. If there's one thing I could do, it would be to improve the, um, the support that we give to students financially and other, otherwise to have that experience because to have part of the experience because you have to um, work so many hours these these days, I think uh, is, um, first of all, it becomes a uh, inequitable state because some people do and some people don't. Uh, but secondly, the the outcome of that investment, if it, I don't know whether it's, um, it's the government um, support mechanism for students particularly low SES students, I think, if we could just solve that problem in some way um, that, that that students could afford to live and and, and the, the three years or whatever that they're at university immerse themselves in that, I think we would benefit as a community from the product of that. Um, and I'd like to try the experiment. Note to government, that's one of the things I'd like to see out of the accord. I think there would be many that would agree with you. My last question is, you indicated earlier that you like attending graduations and that it's a great pleasure and joy. And you probably say this, but what advice would you give to the graduates of 2024? 2024 is, yeah, the, the world 2024 is gonna be different to the world in 2026 and 2030. Um, you know, as the old saying, you know, change is slow until it isn't. That's the world graduates are going into. So graduation marks an important moment in time, um, but it still is going to, you know, uh, there'll be more points in time where you'll need to develop different skills, to develop new skills, to keep learning, to keep engaged with learning, whether it's formal learning or informal learning, um, is absolutely the path to being to satisfaction in 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 a career in a world that's changing so quickly, so absolutely embrace the change, 
um, and prepare yourself to do it. Mentoring, professional learning, whatever it is, um, absolutely factor that into what you do in the future. What a great message to end on. And Andrew, thank you very much for the 35 minutes that you uh, spent with me this afternoon. And uh, hopefully we'll run into each other at the Universities Australia uh, conference. The week I hope after. so. I hope so. Thank yeah. you. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to Studiosity's podcast, Reimagining Higher Education. Candid conversations within higher education, sharing stories of leadership, change, and best practice in teaching and learning. Visit studiosity.com.